Kindred, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, you appear before us every day wearing the faces of strangers in need with the gentle smile of a child, the voice of an elderly friend. Speak to us now, God. You are our King. Amen. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's also known in many UCC churches and many of our denominational fellow churches as Reign of Christ Sunday. It has two names for various reasons. Some folks these days don't like the gender stuff that's associated with kingship. And uh, I, I get that. I understand that. But other folks, especially in the, U, in the United States, are um, offended by the concept of monarchy. And uh, I got to push back against that a little bit. Uh, Jesus isn't our savior because we voted for him. Um, it's a little bit more fundamental than that. Regardless, this Sunday, as I said, is the end of the Christian year. Uh, tomorrow is the first day of the new year um, as we begin Advent. So, Happy New Year. <laughs> Christ the King, this, this holiday, is a very new holiday. Uh, there's not a whole lot of traditions associated with it yet. It's up to you. Come up with something. I don't know. In England, they make um, special puddings for the day. That's the extent of the celebrations that I've been able to find. I wish we did more. It's very unusual that we have a Christian holiday. I know that we have a lot. It seems that we have a lot. But we pretty much kind of five-finger discounted those from other religions. There are very few holidays that are explicitly Christian, started by Christians themselves. Um, Epiphany is another one. Unfortunately, again, doesn't get celebrated very much. Uh, Halloween is one. They're doing their best to do away with that. Uh, and we have Christ the King, Christ the King Sunday. It was a gift of, from Pope Pius XI. It was inaugurated uh, in 1925. I hope there's going to be some sort of centennial celebration. I'm not sure. But 1925, they created Christ the King Sunday. And it was a response to the rise of fascism in Italy. At that time, um, Benito Mussolini was rising in power and authority, the fascist dictator. When the Pope was writing about this in his encyclical, he wrote that for Christians, we are no longer our own property, for Christ has purchased us with a great price. Our bodies are the members of Christ. Pope Pius didn't get everything right. They almost never do. But he believed that Christianity itself was a remedy for fascism. The Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber describes this Sunday as Antifa Sunday. I think that that's perfectly accurate. 
that Christ the King Sunday is a Sunday where we say we have no king but Christ. Christ is our true king. All others are pretenders. Fascism is inimical to this idea. Fascism demands obedience and fealty to earthly governments and earthly rulers. In the United States of America, we are today subject to various powers and principalities. I think that most of us enjoy a degree of freedom that would be unknown to most human beings in most eras of human history. The United States is somewhat unique in that we have enshrined democracy and the ideas of individual rights and liberties in some of our founding documents. They are almost always under attack. Our founders believed, it was written by Benjamin Franklin, that governances like fascism would be allergic to the American people. Would that that were the case. Fascism is on the rise in America, again, in a way that we haven't seen since uh, the nativist movements, I think in the 1840s and 50s. Nativism is this idea that people who have got a special card from the government that says United States citizen are more special than people who don't have that card. It's the kind of thinking that would appeal to a second grader. Uh, cards from the government don't make you special. That's in the Bible. Fascists are giving lectures around the country. And the internet has given voice to faceless, nameless, anonymous people who are actively recruiting our young men into their movements, radicalizing in particular young white men. That's not an opinion. That's a demographic reality. And in all of this, they are aided and abetted by moderates who caution against confrontation or who say that the best way to defeat a bully is to ignore them and they'll go away on their own. That has never been true. They are abetted also by various industries. The gun industry, which treats our government like it's a wholly owned subsidiary operation. Gun violence in America is out of control. Despite the fact that violent crime in our cities is down nearly 50% since the early 1990s. Our cities are safer than ever before. We are subjected to these rampages of heavily armed men, almost always white, who indiscriminately kill through mass shootings. Now some people gesture towards a, a mental health crisis mental health crisis, explaining why we have these mass shootings. It, the argument kind of falls apart when you really sit and think about it. Um, for a number of reasons. Statistically, people with mental health problems are 
half as likely to commit violent crimes than more than twice as likely to be the victims of crimes. And if that wasn't enough, if it was a mental health crisis issue, then we would see parity amongst the perpetrators of these crimes. I dug all the way through the DMV to see if there was some kind of mental health disorder that only affected white guys. As a white guy, I mean, that's kind of, I would like to know. We've got a mental health crisis in this country that's making white guys take guns and shoot, shoot up shopping malls and stuff. Now, what is that disease called? Um, there is no mental health disease that only affects white men. Um, 98%, 98% of all mass shootings are carried out by white men. We have a right to bear arms in this country, and that is a right that is enshrined in our founding documents. It's one that I take pretty seriously. Um, but we have a police force that only seems to respect that right for certain groups of the population. I don't understand that. I don't think it's a mental health crisis. I think that something else is going on. I'm a person who studies uh, gods and the people who worship gods. I've seen people do crazy stuff in order to worship a god. Insofar as uh, I see people worshiping Jesus, I see people worshiping Jesus as king. They seem to do marvelous things. And then the business of fixing the world. So I've got to conclude that these, uh, these men are worshiping some other god, some other king. All right, I don't wanna be coy. It's easy to see why somebody would worship guns. Guns are powerful. They purport to protect. The promise of a gun is I will keep you safe. This is a terrible lie. Statistically, talk to your doctor. If you have a gun in your home, you are much more likely to be the victim of gun violence. Owning a gun statistically makes you much less safe. That's a fact. I know this because I own guns. I love my family. I want to keep them safe. I am not operating under the delusion that owning guns is keeping my family safe. I own guns because I eat meat. I grew up in West Michigan in a family of hunters. I don't like buying all my meat at the grocery store. It feels weird to me. I want to know what's going on. They don't let me go to the factory farms and inspect things. You can't just do that. They'll call the police until I hunt. Because then I get to see the process. I know what's happening. I know what I'm feeding my kids. It's important to me. That's it. I enjoyed shooting rifles in Boy Scouts, and I was pretty good at it. But that's a hobby. No, um, I study these questions and I do these things because I want to get it right. So my guns, the guns that I own, are fully disassembled, locked up in a safe, uh, 
far from where my children are, and there's no ammunition anywhere around or anywhere near them. Uh, The most dangerous thing you could probably do is knock the safe over somehow or something like that. But I want to know why. What is it that would cause somebody to worship anything other than God? Today's Christ the King Sunday. We're supposed to think about these things today. We're preparing for Advent. I want to stand beneath the shadow of the right King, my King, Jesus Christ. Well... Next week, um, next week we're going to begin talking about how we expect Jesus to arrive, what we expect him to look like, what the assumptions are about kingship, and who has real power. I want to know what Jesus thinks about the way that I act. I want to know what Jesus thinks about the things that I buy, the things that I say or don't say. Um, I want to know what Jesus thinks about the way that I treat the poor and the hungry, the naked, the sick. And I really want to know what Jesus thinks about what I think about people who are in prison. America puts more people in prison than any other nation in the world. It's wild. Two and a half million of us involved in the prison system in this country. It's foremost in my mind, and it's not, um, I confess, this is not a product of my personal piety or my own weird brand of Calvinism or my Protestant guilt and work ethic. It's, it's because I have reached the absolutely unshakable conclusion that at the end of my life, there's going to be an accounting of the measure that I was given and the measure that I returned to God. And I'm really bad with money. I worry about that. I worry that God is going to say, I gave you ten talents, and I'm going to say, I forgot. I thought you gave me twenty. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm worried that I'm going to get it wrong. I thank God on the regular, for introducing me to people in my lives who are good with money. And they can talk me out of buying stupid stuff that I don't need. I get anxious about the way that I use my money, the way that I give it, or if I don't give it. Um, I firmly believe that the way that I invest my gifts and my time and my talents is going to be the conversation that I have with God. At the end of my life, that's what we're going to sit down and talk about. That's the accounting that's going to get hashed out. And I want to be ready with an answer. And if I focus on making Christ my king, instead of any of these other powers, principalities, then I know that I at least stand good odds of getting it right. I want to stand in the shadow of my king. And it's not that the other powers don't cry out, you know, hey, carry your gun, you know, get, don't forget to renew your CPL, or you might get a ticket on your way to the shooting range, or something like that, I don't know. I see that stuff on the news all the time. I have three small children, and I live in the middle of nowhere. I worry about our safety. 
I wonder what I can do to keep us most safe. Now, I know from reading the Bible that the safest thing to do is to get to know my neighbors really, really well. I know that the safest thing to do is to have a large community full of people who I know on a first-name basis. That investing in community is the greatest insurance policy against catastrophe. That it's not isolation, uh, anger, or suspicion. That the only thing that those powers are going to do is further isolate me from the very people who could help me. When you grow up in the woods, you meet people who talk about bugging out. How long could you survive in the wilderness for a week? I don't know. I know too many people. If I was in the wilderness for a day, I would go to Jim's house and sleep on his couch. I hope you have a gym. I hope you've got lots of them. No, I think that when I hear these other powers saying, I'll keep you safe, Nathan. Carry a gun. I'll protect you. I, uh, I move closer to Jesus. I move closer to the hem of his garment under his shadow. Closer to, as he puts it, the wings of the mother hen. I move deeper into him and I say, no, no thank you. I, uh, I, I, with all due respect, I don't want your protection. Mammon offers a lot of protection. Mammon is a powerful god. Mammon says, make more money, you'll be safer. I've never really seen that work. move closer to Jesus. There is a Moloch, the god of violence and war. Moloch is a god that says, let's make war on strangers. They're different from us. They don't matter. Moloch says, if we kill all of them, we won't ever have to worry about them again. I say to that that I don't know any strangers. Because my holy book says that every single human being is made in God's image and is a child of God. And even when my own beloved country, America, marvelous country, been around for a really long time, really long time. America is one of the oldest countries in the world. I know they don't teach that in school, but it's true. America comes to me with a national religion and says, you should shed tears over the flag and sing our special song. And if you don't stand up when you sing the special song, then you're doing it wrong. I don't know. I have affection for Jesus, and I say through gritted teeth, I love this country. I would die for this country. But my worship, my worship is reserved alone for the one in whom I entrust my soul. America has done wonderful things. Put a man on the moon, electrified the South, defeated fascism abroad and at home on more than one occasion, but I have yet to see America save a person's immortal soul. So with every ounce of honesty that I've got, I think, 
that as long as I stay beneath the shadow of my king, who is Jesus, for as long as I follow his way and follow his teachings, I find that my life is rich, I have very little fear, I have a lot of love and laughter, and I have peace in times of sorrow and distress. Things become a lot less complicated for me. The little gods and the small kings and authorities of the world kind of seem ridiculous and foolish and laughable. Their supposed authority, the same authority that Pontius Pilate tried to threaten God with, comes from their belief that I'm afraid to die. That's where all of their authority comes from. And they say, obey me or I will kill you. Now, for someone who has given everything over to the true king, death is a very funny thing to threaten us with. When we've handed over our life and our death to Jesus Christ, the threat of death becomes very empty. We're We're prone to behave like the child that's standing beside the pageant, shouting, the king is naked, the king is naked. In this life, I long for good things um, and things that, would, that I would miss if I carried around a gun. Um, or if all I thought about was my bank account. Fascism, you see, is obsessed with those things. Obsessed. Fascism wants to make those things the object of your worship and then threaten you with them and then give you permission to threaten other people with them. Fascism has captured the hearts and minds of reactionary Americans, and the same fascism as Pontius Pilate in Rome. It seemed that it was very, very important to the creator of the universe that the man Jesus was himself born under the shadow of fascism and under the shadow of a fascist government that treated some people like humans and some people like less than humans. And Jesus suffered for it physically. And we suffer for it. And my God, the Jesuses of the world suffer for it. The poor, the oppressed, the outsiders, people who are queer, people who are trans, the black and brown bodies, each made in the image of Almighty God, the immigrants, the strangers and the wanderers, they suffer. They suffer for it. If we're going to be followers, we have to decide which of these two men, I suppose, are we going to pledge our allegiance to? Pontius Pilate? Or Jesus Christ. I choose. Choose one. I will tell you that if you choose Pontius Pilate, as um, a very popular choice. Almost everybody in the Gospels went with Pontius Pilate. That seemed a very reasonable, sensible thing to do. So I won't fault you for it. But I will strongly encourage you to consider instead Jesus as king.
If we choose to follow Pontius Pilate, we will get some pretty cool stuff. Horses and chariots, guns, flags, money, that sort of thing. If we choose Jesus Christ, we are compelled to run with haste to places where things are difficult. We don't get a bunch of money and cool stuff. It's not what Jesus seems to, to promise. If we choose Jesus, we, we flee to the marginal places of the world. To do what? To wash the feet of the poor? To forgive those who hate us? To worship beside people who are strange and speak different languages? To visit people in prison? But that kind of life gives us urgency and purpose. So, upon reflection then, Jesus Christ at my side, Jesus Christ behind me, Jesus Christ before me, Jesus Christ in my mind, and Jesus Christ in my heart. For this life, this little one, life's little day, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ as King. We'll see how it goes. And when he comes in his glory, at the end of my days, during my apocalypse, I want to be baffled with the rest when I say to him, when, Lord, did I see you hungry and feed you? When did I see you suffering? When did these things happen? And then my king will show me all of the things that I did to serve him when I was standing beneath his shadow. That's all I want. Well, that's all I want. But if I can give that to my children, if I can pass that down one more generation, just one, I will have succeeded beyond my wildest dreams. Do you have to do some, something special to stand beneath the shadow of Jesus Christ? You know, if you want to stand beneath the shadow of Pontius Pilate, you've got to do all sorts of things. You, there's tests you have to fill out. Do you have to, what about for Jesus? Do you have to take a test? Do you have to pray a special prayer? Um, do you have to say some sort of magical incantation or something? Um, no, you don't have to do any of those things. Mm -mm. You simply move. You move to him. Move toward him with urgency. And I think that when you turn to behold his face... You look to the throne, his throne. The face that you are going to see on that throne will simply be the face of the next human being in need along your way in life. That's exactly what he says. Encountering Jesus is as near as reaching out a hand to a person in need. And then you'll find him. You'll find him in yourself. He's not very far away, ever. He's not violent, and he will never cause you to fear. He says today that he needs you. He has a holy hunger for your presence, and seeking him out is a learned skill. It takes a little practice. Our world is haunted by many small kings and many small gods, and they make appealing cases for their worship. And they make many, many promises. But the one thing that none of them are capable of promising us is a life for the ages.
This precious thing can be found only in the way of Jesus Christ. So renounce your false gods and renounce your false idols. If you are beginning to fear that your love of America, your patriotism, has begun to degrade into base nationalism, or worse, fascism, come, let us reason together. If there are guns in your home or on your person that you account as false gods because you believe that they will protect you, come and speak with me. If you find yourself obsessing over your finances, over money and the power that it seems to hold over your life, come and speak with me. You've got a pastor, you know, for a reason. If there's some small God that is riding on your back, tearing you away from the way of Jesus Christ, whispering false promises in your ear, come and speak with me. And together, we will talk together to a king that will banish these voices into the outer darkness. I know an, a way of life that can give you limitless joy. A lot of it's counterintuitive. Most of it is countercultural. And uh, it's not going to make you super famous on TikTok. But in the final estimation, it's one of the very few things that I know of that's actually worth doing. Let us dwell, St. Johners, beneath the shadow of our true king and have no other kings to serve but the one that gives us the water of eternal life. Amen. Amen.